Hey, this is Mike Brake, and I'm the pastor at Freedom Church in Los Alamos. I want to say thank you for stopping by our podcast today. We really do believe that you're only one step away from the relationship with God that you've been wanting. So I hope the message today gives you encouragement, gives you some vision so that you can take that next step towards freedom. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. How y'all doing? It's good seeing everyone. And, and I appreciate it, Mike. Uh, when we were approached to do two marriage conferences as well as speak on this Sunday. Carrie and I, so our conferences were on communication. We didn't communicate our November calendar. And we picked up like three other events during the month of November. This is the end of our, what we call our November marathon. And we were talking about, when we looked back, I would say in August or September, and I looked at the November calendar of what we were doing and how nonstop it was. It's like, Lord, you've got to give me strength. You gotta give me strength that I don't end up becoming irritable and mean and, yeah, okay. Uh, and show me, show me what we need to do. In the last three weeks, we have seen more miracles of the hand of God, his fingerprints, in what's gone on with couples, with counseling, and just within our marriage. And I praise God for that. And he's given that. And I'm excited. And what a way to end the marathon but to be with you guys. It really is great to be on the mountain all the way up here with low tire pressure alerts going off in my car. But that's okay. I learned that that's normal, not to panic. So thank you so much. So again, my name is Joe Vivian. I am the children's and families pastor officially at Eastern Hills Baptist Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And like Mike said, my wife is sitting right up front there, the, the beautiful blonde. About eight years ago, we knew that we, we were being called into something different. Because I was counseling children, and when I would sit down with little Johnny and little Sally, and I would sit down with mom and dad, and talking to mom and dad about the problems with Sally, and listening to the way mom and dad interacted, I thought, this has nothing to do with Sally. This has everything to do with you guys. I was praying about how do I approach my wife who's already a science teacher, busy. How do I approach her saying we need to do ministry together? Let's just add to it. We're coming back from Young Lives Ablaze camp. That we're the camp mom and dad. And we have a blast there. I didn't realize God was working in her, her heart at the same time. And all of a sudden we're, we're driving off the mountain together from Inlow Baptist camp. And Carrie said, God's been speaking to me. And I said, hang on, I need to talk to you first. No, I need to talk to you. And of course we had this great conflict all the way down is who gets to speak first turned out God was speaking the same thing to her that's when we started pursuit of marriage the scary thing about doing a ministry with your wife with your spouse and any of you that do ministry with your spouse the enemy is going to come and attack you full force and we've grown more and learned more about each other in the last eight years doing marriage ministry but we love it you know, uh, the, as Mike said, we are real in the sense that if you come to our retreats or if you come to our conferences, those that attend, we're going we're gonna to be who we are. We're transparent. We're not going to put on a facade. For starters, to let you know, as we talk about the message today, our first three years of marriage, to let you guys know, we did not like each other. If you've been to our retreats or our conferences, we've shared this with you. We did not like each other. And I'm not kidding you. You know, you can laugh, ha ha. No, we didn't like each other. The funny thing is we lived in an 800 square foot reconverted barn, one bedroom loft in the East Mountain and we had one car. So that means we had to commute every morning, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. 
There was a time in our marriage in those first three years for two months, and I'm, again, this is truth. We didn't say one word to each other. One word. I wasn't going to give in, and she wasn't going to give in. To this day, we don't know who did give in, and that's not the point. The point is, God loves us unconditionally. You heard Rita. God has such a passion and love for us that nonstop he is, he is doing that. So that's where I have the, the title of this message that I have to tie into that this is us. You guys have seen, you know, Mike's has had this, this series, This Is Us. We're going to tie it in today with the title out of my message, I Love You to Death. Now, the, the key thing about this title, and already we posted on social media and I had someone respond going, I read the scripture verses, I don't get it. You're going to see where the tie-in is. And we're going to journey together. So let's open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, Father God, I love you, Lord. And I thank you. I thank you for marriages. You ordained those. You created that. That was the first union that you blessed. So Lord, as we speak your word to one another today, let your spirit envelop us. Speak to each of us individually so that we can have an I love you to death just as your son loved us to death towards our spouse, towards our children, towards our families, towards our friends. We pray these things in his mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Great. So if you would for me, please turn your Bibles to Song of Solomon, chapter 8. Go ahead and put your fingers there if you have your Bibles or which is... So interesting, when I started preaching 20 years ago and getting into ministry, we'd always say, turn your Bibles. Now I have to get used to also saying, open up your tablets, push some buttons, and you'll get there a lot faster. So whatever it is, if you would, please turn to that scripture reference in Song of Solomon. The title, I Love You to Death, seems like a weird title. Already, like I said, someone on social media said, I don't get this. I want you to understand something, that true biblical love, true biblical love, is not an emotion. It is an action. It is a decision. It's a verb. Too often we make it a feeling. It is not a feeling. Realize this. There's a much deeper aspect to love that is deeper and unconditional when fueled by God himself. That's when your, your marriages flourish. That's when your love becomes supernatural. It's the best word I've got. So I have a question that I want to ask you that we're going to put on the slides there. How do you, how do you, think about this, how do you display God's love in your marriage? Now this isn't a Q&A, so no hands please. But I want you to think about that question right off the bat. How do you display God's love in your marriage? Now look at the second question. For some of you, you're like, well, I'm single or going on. Okay, then how do you display God's love in your relationships? To your children? To your immediate family, your extended family. We're entering Thanksgiving and Christmas. We're entering the realm of in-laws. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Thanks, you had to bring that up. That's why you don't have church next week, okay? No. <laughs> Mike doesn't want to deal with that. No, I'm joking. How do you display that love? You're going to be encountering individuals that are going to try your patience. And the person that you're most comfortable with exploding 
and unleashing is your spouse. So you've got to come back, and we're going to talk about this. We're going to look at this picture. So as you do enter the holidays, it'll be a good place, okay? It'll be a good place. So the scriptures today will compare love to death. While we're in Song of Solomon chapter 8, they'll compare love to death because a true love is a death-to-death type of love. It really is. And I don't think we we think of it that way, but it, it truly is. This book, if you have never studied Song of Solomon... I strongly recommend you do, but also make sure you have a good commentary to go with it or a good instruction because you're going to read some of that and you're going to be like, her neck is the Tower of Babel, what? Or Babylon? It makes no sense. Her hair is like flocks of goats coming down the hills. There's some beauty in there. There really is. So we're going to talk about that. If you do read this, already some people are like, How are you going to tie this in, Joe? I'm going to share with you. So remember, love is a decision. Okay? Love is a decision, often accompanied by emotions and actions. However, true love is a decision we must make daily. So let's go ahead with that to the death kind of love. We're going to see the power of love. We're going to see the protection of love. And we're going to see the place for love. So I'm going to read with you Song of Solomon, chapter 8, starting in verse 5 through 14. Now I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. I'm a children's pastor. Easy vernacular, I like this, okay? And you're going to see differences, and that's okay. But read what you are and follow along with me if you would. So starting in verse 5. These are young women of Jerusalem that are speaking. And they say, who is this sweeping in from the desert, leaning on her lover? The Shulamite, the bride. She says, I aroused you under the apple tree where your mother gave you birth, and in great pain she delivered you. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death, its jealousy is enduring as the grave. Love flashes like fire, the brightest kind of flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can rivers drown it. If a man tries to buy love with all his wealth, his offer would be utterly scorned. Now the brothers of the Shulamite. We have a little sister too young to have breasts. What will we do for our sister if someone asks to marry her? If she is a virgin like a wall, we will protect her with a silver tower. But if she is promiscuous like a swinging door, we will block her door with a cedar bar. The Shulamite. I was a virgin like a wall, now my breasts are like towers. When my lover looks at me, he is delighted with what he sees. Solomon has a vineyard at Baal Haman, which he leases out to tenant farmers. Each of them pays a thousand pieces of silver for harvesting its fruit. But my vineyard is mine to give, and Solomon need not pay a thousand pieces of silver. But I will give 200 pieces to those who care for its vines. Solomon, oh my darling, lingering in the gardens, your companions are fortunate to hear your voice. Let me hear it too. And she responds, come away, my love. Be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. For some of you, that might be the first time you've heard some of those words in church. But that's okay. It's God's word. And we're going to see the meaning in here as we go through. As, as we take this apart. I want to focus real quickly on verse 5 before we get into it. Uh, in my translation, it says, Who is this sweeping in from the desert, leaning on her lover? They are demonstrating a key principle for all of us to follow. Leaning on the one she loves. This is the way to start off. I want you to picture where we're going on this. Leaning on the one she loves. There are no electronics. There's no selfies. There's no social media. There is no electronics. There's no distractions. 
When pursuing your spouse face-to-face, -face, contact is vital. Contact is vital. Full attention must be given to one another. Uh, this is the application that Pastor Mike did last week. Remember face-to-face. Face-to-face. So this is a question I want to pose that we're going to put up. Can your spouse truly say that they can lean completely on you? Or do they see you as often being distracted? It's a hard hit, isn't it? Carrie and I were at a, at a restaurant in Albuquerque, Mexican food restaurant, and, and in the center, we just happened to be sitting literally in the center table, all the other tables around us. And again, as Carrie is my witness, we stopped because I noticed something from my view, she noticed something from her view. Every single person in that restaurant was on an electronic device, including a three-year-old. Everyone. What made us notice this was how quiet it was. No noise. Creepy. Totally distracted. That question. Can your spouse truly say that they can lean completely on you, or are you being distracted? So think about that question. Think about what that means, and then own it. Please own it. Next, let's start in on this. Let's talk about the power of love. This is verses 6 and 7. Now, I asked Mike to put things on you version, and you did, didn't you, Mike? If you did, awesome. So on you version, there's a breakdown of this also that you can follow, if you want, if you're taking notes. So let's look at verses 6 and 7. It says, Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. Its jealousy is enduring the, as the grave. Love flashes like fire, the brightest kind of flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can rivers drown it. If a man tried to buy love with all his wealth, his offer would be utterly scorned. This is what we're now talking about, the power of love. First application. First thing that I want to talk about, okay, these characteristics. Love is permanent. Love is permanent. Look at verse, look at right off the bat in verse 6. Set me a seal on your heart as a seal on your arm. Once you understand, a seal is an indication of a valued possession. When a seal was placed on there and it was stamped and it was closed, it was a possession of wealth. It's a lasting signature. And plus, it was visible for all to see. You know, we, we as husbands and wives carry something that's visible all to see. It's our wedding ring. This is an outward sign of an inward change. This is a seal. I used to, we used to own a business in Coronado Center in Albuquerque. And there would be people that would come in and I would hear the ladies say, well, don't forget to take off your wedding ring before we go out tonight. How sad is that? Looking, set me a seal on your heart as a seal on your arm. The heart is your emotions and the arm is your actions. Think of it this way. Our love, a Christ-centered love, should control for the rest of our lives everything we feel and everything we do. Set me a seal. Second, love is irresistible. Look at continuing on there. It says, for love is as strong as death. You know the amazing thing about death? Death is irresistible. Death is going to happen. Everyone who is born will die. 
It's a it's a one to one ratio. All are appointed to death. You cannot resist death. So just as death doesn't let people go, so it should be with a true Christ-centered love. Love is irresistible. Next, love is exclusive. Look how it goes, continues in here. It says it's jealousy. It's jealousy as enduring as the grave. It's jealousy as enduring as the grave. Okay, we're talking about jealousy. Let me, let me say this. This jealousy in this context is a good thing. You do know we have a jealous God, right? He is jealous for our love. He is, as, as was shared this morning, he is searching for us. He is longing for us. He does not want to share us with anyone. A pastor once put it that on the racetrack of life, he doesn't want to be number one. He wants no one else on the track. So should it be in your marriage in that sense. There's a difference between envy and jealousy. Let me approach those. Envy is desiring something that is not rightfully yours. But jealousy, a biblical godly jealousy, is desiring something that is rightfully yours. But we have to be very cautious on this path. Envy will lead to coveting, then to bitterness, then to selfish ambitions. However, jealousy's path within a God, Christ-centered marriage will lead to a protective love. Jealousy says, we are it, and I will not share any part of you with someone else. Your mind, your imagination, your thoughts, your body, your all, they are for us to share with each other and no one else. They're for us to share and no one else. Love is permanent. Love is irresistible. Love is exclusive. And then love is also passionate. Look what it says in here. It says, love flashes like fire, the brightest kind of flame. How cool that is to describe the love you have for your spouse. God's love is not a crush. Understand that? It is an all-consuming, unconditional love. And so should that be with your spouse. Think of it this way. If marriage is designed to imitate Christ and the church, then married love should imitate Christ's love for us, all-consuming and unconditional. I love you to death kind of love. We must stoke the flames of love daily. Choose to fan those flames. How are you fanning the flames of love in your marriage? How are you excited? Does your spouse know your excitement when you walk in the room by the, just the look in your eyes? I once asked Carrie, how do you know that I love you? She said, by the way you look at me when I walk into a room. Didn't know I did it. How cool is that? Just by a look, she knows how much I love her. Fan those flames. Fan those flames. So love is permanent. Love is irresistible. Love is exclusive. Love is passionate. Now starting in verse 7, love is persevering. Look at verse 7. It starts off and it says, Many waters cannot quench love, nor can rivers drown it. One translation says, Mighty waters cannot extinguish love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. When we take ownership of our love to our spouse, it becomes permanent and irresistible. When we take ownership of our love, 
when we treat it exclusively and fan the flames of passion, ain't nothing going to put it out. It will continually grow strong. Remember I said love is a verb? Every morning, Carrie and I made a, a pledge to each other that before our feet hit the ground, we would pray to God saying, Lord God, how can I worship you by loving on my spouse today? Because that's what it is. Because let's be honest, husbands and wives, there's some mornings you really don't like your spouse. Or some days, maybe you're going to bed and you don't like them. That's, but whatever it might be. But you still choose to love them. And when I ask God, how can I worship you by the way I love her, I put everything in perspective. And it's a persevering love. So when there's trouble, you can either allow troubles to drown you, or you can choose to swim together through them. That's really what happens. Again, what do you choose? To drown or choose to swim? Love is persevering. So let's come to the sixth characteristic. Love is permanent, irresistible, exclusive, passionate, persevering, and the power of love is invaluable. Look at the very end. It says, if a man tried to buy love with all his wealth, his offer would be utterly scorned. Utterly scorned. A godly Christ-centered love is invaluable because it can't, you can't put a price tag on it. There was a very not theological movie called Oceans, I think the first one was 11, correct? Because there's like 7,000 ocean movies now. But Oceans 11, the very first one, the gentleman who lost all his money put a price tag on his relationship. Please don't ever put a price tag on your marriage, on your relationship. It is impossible to tempt how much God loves us. So then, if you attempt to buy love, if you attempt to put that on yours, you're not loving them in a Christ-centered love. For us in our marriages, don't take for granted what you have. Husbands and wives, I want you to realize with the counseling that we've done over the last eight years, there's many unmarried peeps out there that would love to be married, that feel so lonely. We have one young lady that has approached us many times and keeps saying, I don't know, I just wish God would bring someone in my life. Don't take for granted what you have. You have a special gift. Communicate to your spouse, communicate how much you love them. Let them see that. So we went through the power of love. Permanent, irresistible, exclusive, passionate, persevering, and invaluable. That's the power of love. Now we're going to jump into verses 8 through 12. The protection of love. And it's important that we look at this. Now this is the young brothers. If you're reading through here on verses 8 through 12, they start off. And it says, we have a little sister too young to have breasts. What will we do if our, for our sister if someone asks to marry her? Verse 9, if she is a virgin like a wall, we will protect her with a silver tower. But if she is promiscuous like a swinging door, we will block her door with a cedar bar. Let's talk about those verses. The Shulamite is now remembering. She is now remembering the time of protection from her brothers. She was younger and they helped keep her pure. This is a flashback. I want you to understand. This is a flashback. 
Notice, though, if you've studied through Song of Solomon, that there's been no mention of a father figure with the Shulamite. None. Talk about her mother, they talk about her, her brothers, but they never talk about a father figure. Regardless of that, we also need to understand that in those times, the brothers were the ones responsible for protecting the purity of their sisters. The brothers had that role. So they value her love so much that they are protecting it. And it says that in scripture. The value of something is often expressed in the length you go to protect it. The value of something is often expressed in the length you go to protect it. Here's a question for husbands and wives. What length are you willing to go to protect what is only meant for your spouse's eyes and heart? Did you catch that? What are you willing to do to protect what is meant for only your spouse's eyes and heart? Be cautious the way you dress and the way you act. There's nothing more demeaning than to hear a spouse belittle their spouse in public, whether they're in front of them or not. Or to even dress promiscuously. What are you doing? What are you doing right now to protect what is meant only for them? So now we go into verse 9, back to this protection of love. And you look at this, and the brothers make this plan. I think it's pretty interesting. The brothers have a plan going, don't they? They say, whether she's a wall or a door, they had a plan. Now, in Scripture again, she said a wall. If they said if she's a wall, that means she's sexually pure. It blocks, it protects, it's an immovable barrier. And then if, they, if she is that, then they're, gonna, they're going to reward her with a silver tower of a precious metal. Thank you, sis for making our job easier. However, if she's a swinging door, if that isn't a visual, I don't know what is. She's sexually active. It swings open, there's much access, there's no lock to it, it's just I picture bar doors in the old western. Always there. Then they will create boundaries to protect her. They're gonna enclose it with cedar bars. Cedar planks is another translation. God's boundaries are good. God's boundaries are necessary. God's boundaries are there to protect. So when, when we're dealing with God's boundaries, please don't sit there and think, oh, God just, yeah, he's got all these rules. No, he's there for a reason to protect you and protect your marriages. God's boundaries are laid out for marriage, not only protect, but enhance the union between him, Jesus Christ, and that couple. It's amazing when you have Christ in your marriage and you journey with him. So let me ask this question. How are you managing the boundaries in your marriage? Think about that. How are you managing the boundaries in your marriage? Something for conversation after we leave today. How are you managing those boundaries? Carrie and I set up rules. I'm a children's minister. 90% of the people I work with are women. I have to have rules. If I have to text anyone in my children's ministry, any of my leaders, Carrie is in that text message until she says, take me out. And sometimes that's like 58 text messages later after her phone's blown up. Can you remove me for a while? Thanks. But I will not do anything without her knowledge. That's a boundary. I don't have lunch with another woman regardless, one-on-one. -on -one. That's a boundary. 
We share pass, passwords. We share accounts. There is nothing hidden. Let me ask you this. We're not going to do it. What if I were to ask each of you to open up your phone, unlock it, get to your text message page, and hand it over to your spouse? Would you hesitate? If you're going to hesitate, then you need to put up boundaries. You need to have a discussion with your spouse. Verse 10. I like, look at the Shulamite, right off the bat. She says, I was a virgin like a wall. Pretty much she's saying, I'm a wall. You asked if I was a wall or a door, I'm a wall. And that's a spill. Okay. Is she okay, Mike? Okay. Didn't hear anything coming out of that. So that's the children's minister in me is like, I'll be right back. Um, since she guarded herself in her purity, she brings peace and satisfaction for her husband. What a beautiful blessing that is. Now, let me, let me address this very quickly. And we address this in counseling. We address this on retreats. Like Mike said, I'm very transparent. Carrie and I are very transparent. We were not pure when we were married. We were sexually active before we were married. But when we surrendered our life to the Lord and we became a new creation, the oldest past, the new has begun. From that point on, became the purity of our marriage. And we looked at that. We don't look in the past. We don't look in the rearview mirror and do that. So for those of you that have that baggage, and the baggage may be, may be sexual trauma, sexual abuse, maybe pornography, and maybe previous sexual relations prior to marriage, and you've got that baggage, and you read this and think, well, I can't say I'm a wall. In Christ, you can when you are a new creation. That's brand new. It's time to move forward on that. So verse 11 through 12, she uses this story to illustrate her point in verse 10, when she says, I'm a wall. And she uses this of a vineyard. So here's this story to illustrate. In verse 11, so Solomon owns a vineyard and would lease and rent it out for 1,000 coins. Verse 12, the tenants would earn 200 coins in addition. They would turn a profit. The Shulamite is saying that her love cannot be bought. It must be given by her choice by her. I have my own vineyard. The translation should probably read, my body is at my disposal. It is mine to give and mine only to my husband, to my spouse. But you know, 1 Corinthians says, my body is not my own. It's my it is, once you're married... But she's saying, man, I can't be bought. This is the protection of love. Love cannot be bought. It must be given. How are you giving your love, your heart, your soul to your spouse? Or are you holding back because you have a list of wrongs? And until they write off that list of wrongs, they don't get anything. Emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Love cannot be bought, it must be given. Now we're going to close with the last principle. The place for love, verses 13 through 14. And it's really neat because right here, this is the first time you see Solomon speak in the in chapter as we're closing out. He hasn't spoken at all until now. Oh, my darling, lingering in the gardens, your companions are fortunate to hear your voice. Let me hear it too. And then she responds, come away, my love. Be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. You know what we're doing? We're eavesdropping. We're eavesdropping on their conversation. 
How cool is that? That we get to listen to this conversation between couples, between a husband and a wife. Now, I'm not recommending you do this because you might get in trouble in a restaurant. But how many of you have ever looked at another couple and can determine whether it's first date, second date, they're in an argument, oh, they're in love, oh, this is awkward, right? Am I the only one? Am I the only freak out there that does it? Okay, I guess I am. None of you are going to eat dinner with me, are you? Or in a restaurant, you'll come in a restaurant, oh, there's Joe and Carrie, we're gone. No, but we do that, don't we? Now, what, I'm deaf in this ear, right is wrong. I'm completely deaf. So I struggle, so I have to watch things. I hate to say this, Carrie hears everything. So I'll say, what are they saying? She's like, well, they're saying this and this. Oh, that's so cool. And we can tell, and we do that. We eavesdrop. I know, that's rude. Sorry. Judgment-free zone right now. Um, right now, we're eavesdropping, and God's allowing this, okay? So there you go. The other ones, I'm sure I'll ask for repentance later. Uh, so Solomon is saying this. As he, reads, as he said that to her, he said, others love your presence, but I just want to be with you and you only. I want to be the only one to hear your voice right now. That's it. I just want to hear your voice. I joke around saying the only reason people invite me to these things is because they love Carrie. Everyone loves Carrie. Our grandkids, nieces, nephews, oh, lovey, Aunt Carrie, who are you? And they push me aside. We'll walk in to any room. Oh, there's Carrie. I'm like, thanks. But you know what is great? When it's just the two of us, I get to hear her voice. We get uninterrupted time together. We're looking at the whites of each other's eyes, and we love it. So, okay, I'll share her for a while. But man, when it's our alone time, car rides are great. I will tell you that. Car rides are great if she's awake. But that's a whole other issue. We won't talk about that right now. Um, so he's saying that. I want to hear your voice only right now. How do you long to listen to your spouse? Do you recognize their voice? Can you tell the tones when they're angry, when they're happy? Do you long to hear their voice? You know, one thing that we always tell couples to do, especially when they're struggling and in conflict, make sure you smile when you talk to each other on the phone. You can tell a difference, can't you? You can tell when your spouse is smiling. Last, verse 14. Let's be honest about this. Let me read that again. Come away, my love. This is her. Be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. Okay, it's a sexual invitation. Let's just call it what it is. Let's not miss it and say, well, I think maybe. No, she's saying it's go time. There's excitement to be together. They've talked about the emotional aspect, the spiritual aspect. Now let's get physical. How cool is that? You have to understand, this is the end of Song of Solomon. This is the last verse in chapter 8. I truly feel that this is much later on in their marriage. I don't know if it's 20 years, if it's 30 years. I don't know, but I know that they've aged and there's still excitement and passion. He wants to hear her voice. He wants to be with her. She wants to be with him. In public, do people know you're married? Do people know you love each other in public? Or do they think you're just like brother and sister? Is there a passion? By all means, don't live out chapter, I mean, verse 14 in public, okay, people? But there should be an excitement. We were told by a cashier once, and what's funny was we were in a pretty good fight. Yes, we fight. 
But we're told by a checker coming out at Albertsons, she goes, I love watching you two because you can tell you two are in love. And we're like, really? Because we're not liking each other right now. So man, that's a good thing. Imagine if we were. Okay. Look how we ended with God's stamp of approval. I want you to own this verse. I want you to own this verse. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. That is Psalm 34, 3. Because we're going to close in Genesis chapter 2. Verses 24 and 25. If you have your Bibles, please turn to that. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Here's God's biblical model for a marriage in Genesis 2, 24 and 25. If you've never seen it before, this you need to own. Leave, cleave, become one, and not ashamed. Leave, cleave, become one, and not ashamed. However, in chapter 3, the sad part is, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, the wheels come off. And all sin breaks loose. However, God's given us a pattern for marriage. We just looked at the power of love, the protection of love, the passion of love, the permanence of love. I love you to death. You can redeem back your marriage at any time, back into Genesis 2, 24 and 25, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through Christ. This is through Jesus Christ and Him and Him only. When you surrender your life to Him, when you turn your life over to Him, Turn over your marriage, your children, your work, your relationship, your everything. When he becomes the boss of your life, you ask for forgiveness. You turn from your selfish, sin-focused journey that you're on and turn to him. Have him take over your marriage, your children, your work, your relationships, your everything. Have him take it over. That then begins the journey of redeeming back your marriage your relationship with those around you, your children, your family. Remember I said that when you do that, when you say, Jesus Christ, I surrender my life to you. I turn from sin, I turn to you. I, from now on, you're the boss of my life. I surrender everything to you. You are now a new creation. The old has passed, the new has begun. A new marker in your life has created right then and there for your marriage, your families, your children. A new marker. However, it takes you to surrender your life. You make that choice. Take time this morning, please. Take time this morning to surrender your marriage and your family to Him. Take time to surrender your life to Him. Allow the love of Jesus Christ, a love you to death kind of love, to envelop you. He truly demonstrated this when He went to the cross. He loved you to death. So, beginning today, begin today. Pursue, redeem, and seek His holiness then the love of Christ will overflow into your marriage and families. I promise you. I promise you. That I'll put a, a seal on. Heavenly Father, Father God, you are amazing, Lord, and we love you. We give this time to you, Lord, that we redeem back our marriages, and I love you to death. Focus. You gave us the model to leave, cleave, become one, and not be ashamed, but you gave us the most beautiful model of what it means 
to love unconditionally, and that is through your son, Jesus Christ. So Lord, we turn over our lives to you. We surrender today to you. From this point forward, we pray these things in his mighty name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to the podcast at Freedom Church in Los Alamos. A few next steps that you can take coming out of this. One is head to our website and let us know just exactly how we can help you take your next step. Also, if we have had a positive impact in your life or in your family and you want to partner with us financially, you can go to our website and click give. That will get the message out so we can impact more people through this ministry. And finally, click the subscribe button. That way you know you get the latest content from the podcast as well as rate it, review it. That will help get the message out to others. Hope you have a a wonderful week. Thanks again for listening.